0: have been talking about a series on lost things. And so we're going to finish that up this morning. And then, Lord willing, next week, we are going to start in the book of Jeremiah. Now, don't, we're not going to take it, don't get scared. We're not going to take it chapter by chapter, all right? Uh, it would be really hard to do that. We're going to take it in sections. But if you want to read ahead, Jeremiah chapter 1 is where we'll be next week. So uh, it will give you some ideas. You'll read a lot of names don't worry. I'll, I'll help you with all of it, and we'll try to get a good. Jeremiah is a great book in, in that what Jeremiah talks about is really he demonstrates how to be faithful in a difficult time, how to really hang in there and honor God no matter what's happening in the world around you, and uh, he's an excellent example of that, and so there's a lot to learn from him and, and his story and his situation. Uh, this morning, we're finishing up the story of the lost thing. We talked about the lost sheep. We talked about the lost coin. And then we talked about the lost son. You noticed the story of the prodigal son. Two weeks ago, we talked about the older brother as a focus. And this morning, we're going to talk about the father as a focus, uh, being Father's Day, and, and really, I think the father is the focus of the story. You notice a prodigal son, but the Bible never refers to him as prodigal. In fact, the Bible spends very little attention on what the son did. Um, And in all three of the stories, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about the sheep because the sheep just wandered off. We didn't spend a lot of time about the coin because the coin just got lost. So why would we spend a lot of time talking about the son because he decided to walk away from the father? He's not the focus of the story. I think the real focus of the story you're going to see this morning is the father. So with that in mind, let's read it. The whole whole thing starts with the Pharisees asking Jesus a question. With that in mind, here we go. In verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with him. The Pharisees were questioning Jesus. They didn't get it. They loved Jesus because he, he knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And they assumed that because they loved the Old Testament that Jesus would be with them. So when Jesus starts spending time with publicans and sinners, people they wouldn't even talk to, they have a problem. And so they had already questioned the disciples about it. Now they're coming to him and they're saying, why is it that he eats with publicans and sinners? We don't get it. So Jesus tells them these parables. He says, well, there was a sheep that was lost and the shepherd, he went out to find the one sheep. And there was a coin that was lost. a woman... Tore the whole house apart, cleaned it all up to find out one coin. And then he tells the story that we're going to read this morning about the father and two sons. And here's what it says. Next, guys. Are we good? There we are. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. He divided his property between them. In this culture, the oldest son got, two, got, got a double portion. So since there's two sons, the older son gets two-thirds, the younger son gets one-third. So dad liquidated some stuff, gave the younger son the one-third that he would have deserved. Father, give me my share. Now, long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth And while living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, he began to be in need. He starts to hit bottom. So, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. This young man would have been a Jew. Jews and pigs don't get along. So, to feed pigs would have been, like, really, really low for a Jew to do. I mean, you had to be desperate uh, to do that. And so, it says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So, Picture this, every day he goes out with the hog slot bucket, Um, the slot bucket. Anybody remember those? Hey, I've I've done that. Uh, You know, we threw all the scraps in, you go out, and that, I mean, that hog just got so excited. But in all that time, I never took that bucket out and looked down and went, oh, that looks good. (laughs) But that's what this guy does. He's actually carrying his bucket out going, somebody didn't eat all that steak, Uh, I'll take that. That's how desperate this guy was. And notice what it goes on to say. It said, um, when he came to his senses, he thought, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out, I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up, and he went to his father. The guy looks at it and goes, you know what? Even the people my dad hired, the hired men have it better than me right now. Maybe my dad will give me a job. Maybe he'll give me a job. And by the way, I think it's significant. He's not even sure that dad will give him a job. He's just hoping dad will give him a job. So notice what he goes on to say. Uh, while he was yet a long way off, his father saw him. Well, that's interesting. Dad's looking, which tells me something about dad. Dad. And it was filled with compassion on him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf, kill it, let's have a feast and celebrate. For this this son of mine was dead, he's alive again, he's lost, he's found, so they began to celebrate. So we have how the dad responds to the son. And then notice what happens to the other son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He came near the house. He heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and said, what's going on? He said, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. He said, there's a party. Come on, let's go. And going on? The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate. When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fatty cat for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the story ends right there. Charles Dickens has called this the greatest story ever written. <clears throat> because when the story ends, we don't know what the son does. And I can tell you what I think the son does, the older son. But I think there's a lot of lessons in here of, of, of uh, that God is trying to teach. And so I want to look at it this morning a little bit from the perspective of the father, because I think in this whole story, he's the focus. Not the kid, although the kids are important. The focus is the dad. And so... I want to look at it a couple ways, how the dad responds to the younger son, how the dad responds to the older son. Let's talk about the younger son. First thing you see when you talk about the dad and the older son is that he lets him go. I mean, you can't be any more ungrateful than to go to your dad and say, look, dad, you're not dying fast enough. Give me my inheritance now. But you know what dad does? Dad goes, okay, I'll liquidate what I need to liquidate and give you your third down. He lets him go. And I think that is incredible in the story. Here's why. In the story of the sheep, when the sheep is lost, what does the shepherd do? Help me out. He goes and finds the sheep, right? The focus is on what the shepherd does. When the woman loses the coin, what does she do? She goes out and looks for it. But when the son wants to walk away, what does the father do? He lets him go. He doesn't go running after him. He doesn't beg him to stay. He allows him to leave. And I think that is an incredible, because what I think is in the first two parables, the focus is the idea of, if you will, God responding. God seeking the, sh- the, the, the coin. God seeking the sheep. In this story, the focus is the responsibility of the people. And in this story, what happens? The, 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 the son comes to dad and says, this is what I want. And dad says, okay. If that's the way you want it, I will let you go. I think there's a lot to be said for that in our culture. Because you know what I see? I see a lot of parents who, under the term, quote, unquote, I love my kids, subsidizing their lifestyle. Dad doesn't subsidize his lifestyle. When he hits bottom, dad doesn't say, Just call me and I'll send you more money. He does a really tough thing here by saying, if that's what you want, then I'll let you go your way and do your thing. And um, I I, I can't say it enough because in our culture, this is what I'm seeing. I've counseled enough and know enough to know that most people who live destructive lifestyles cannot subsidize it on their own. Somebody has to enable them. And most of those people who enable them do so out of a false love or a false guilt. Because I could never let my kids sleep on the street. But this dad does. Can you imagine your kid having to go through the garbage to eat. Oh, I love my kid too much. I never let my kid do that. It'll be the hardest thing you ever have to do, but this dad says, if you want to go that way, I'm going to let you go that way, and I'm going to let you hit bottom. And as hard as that is, that's the image of this father that we get here. This father says, I'm going to let you. You want to go all the way to the bottom? I'm going to let you go all the way to the bottom. And that's tough. That's really, really tough. But here's something else you know about this father. This father had created an environment at home that was appealing to that kid. You get that? Because when this kid is at the bottom of the bottom, and he's going, man, i got to pick through the garbage to get something to eat. What comes to his mind? Home. Dads, you want to know one of the things, grandparents, you want to know one of the things you and I have to do? We have to create an environment in which our kids, our grandkids, feel safe and secure and know they're loved and know they're welcomed. But notice, this guy knows if he comes back, he comes back on God on, on the dad's terms, not on his own. In fact, he comes back and says, okay, i got a plan. I'm going to tell dad that I've sinned. Don't call me your son. Just hire me. That's all I want from you. And he's hoping that dad says yes. He has no guarantees. He's just hoping. But there's enough of a relationship that he feels like he can at least make that attempt. Dad hasn't burned all the bridges here. But he knows that if he comes back, he's come back under dad's terms, not his. That's important in this story. He's welcome, but not on his terms. And so he takes a great risk in coming back to the house, hoping that maybe, 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 dad will let me work for him. And when he comes, what does dad do? Dad welcomes him back with open arms. Dad welcomes him back and says, you know what? You're my son. Doesn't mean the consequences change because I got news for you. When the will was read, it went something like this. The older son gets it all. You wanted yours. You had it. It's gone. That's a consequence of your choices. You know what? Um, you're my son. And he kills a fat calf, puts a robe on. The ring is very significant because that would have been the um, emblem of the family, the seal, if you will, of the family. Puts shoes on his feet, which tells me something about the fact that he had gotten, he had reached the bottom so far that he couldn't even afford a pair of sandals. Now he's eating garbage and he's got no shoes. Pretty pitiful. But it tells me something, because how did Dad see him? Dad saw him when he was coming, which tells me what? Dad was looking for him. Dad didn't pursue him, but Dad was looking for him. Dad would get up every morning hoping he was coming over the hill. Dad would go to bed every night, take one last look over the hillside to see if he was coming. He cared about him. He loved it. But he let him go. You also see a contrast with how the dad responds to the older brother. There's a party going on inside, and the older brother is standing outside. And I think this is significant. What does dad do? Dad goes outside to meet the brother. Dad leaves the party. Dad leaves the celebration to go out to the older brother and say, what's going on? And the older brother is And he is angry. He is madder than a hoot owl. I mean, he, this guy is just angry. And he uncorks on dad. By the way, dads, men, ladies, look at what gets you angry. Because what gets you angry is a reflection of what's in your heart. What is it that sets you off? Um, that's a good heart check from time to time. What is it that gets you angry? Um, You know, what is it that you really, that that riles something up within you that says, I got to make that right. I got to fix that. Because that reveals something about what's important to you. You know, we had a similar situation at the the airport. Our plane got 45 minutes out and decided that a sensor was wrong and we flew back in and Put us on another airline and all all uh, another airplane and all this kind of stuff, and so in the middle of this, we're in line, and um, (coughs) we noticed that on one of the planes that got unloaded, there was a there was a a World War II vet, and he had a hat on, and he was sitting in a wheelchair, and this was in Chicago, and we noticed that they had kind of pushed him here and said somebody will be with you, and it had gone like ten minutes and nobody was with the guy. And so, we kind of figured out, you know, we got we this poor guy can't do anything. And so, we went up and thanked him for his service and and noticed his hat, which didn't mean anything to me. I was informed later of what it did mean. But, uh, and, and I, I, I said, well, what's the deal? And he goes, well, this is my final airport. I live here in Chicago. But he said, I, I'm waiting to get down to baggage <clears> thing. <throat> so, we took off and found somebody and they got him and they, they got him moved on. And then, Jimmy looked at me and he said, uh, did you notice this hat? I said, yeah. I said, I don't know what all the stuff was. He said, well, he said, the gun meant that it was combat infantry in World War II. He said, not a lot of those guys made it. And he said, did you notice the other badge with the four deals on it? I said, no, I didn't pay attention to it. He said, what that means is that that guy was in four conflicts in World War II. And he came out of all of them. As combat infantry, and he said, there are just not a lot of those guys that made it that, that far and that long." And you know, but it was one of those things that it bothered us. You know, that first of all, there was an older person being treated that way, and then that there was an older person that was of that being treated that way. That that made us that it was one of those things we had to fix it. Okay, why? Because that if you haven't figured it out yet, that's something I kind of get passionate about. It tells you a little bit about where my values are. What you get upset about should tell you where your values are. And, and and part of this is this guy is upset, and why is he upset? What's the hard issue here? He's upset. Why? There's a party. I mean, he's been working his tail off, doing everything Dad's asked, and he hasn't gotten a party. He hasn't had to have gotten to have a party with his friend. And the cat that he's been taking care of was slaughtered for his brother to have a party, and he's been out gallivanting around, and it ain't right. And dad says, Look, everything I've got yours. You got the rest of it. You wanted a party, go kill a calf. Come on in and join the group, join the family here. Be a part of the family. And the story ends with the guys downside. Big picture. Big, 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 big picture. What Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is, look, you're upset because I'm in here with publicans and sinners. And they have become part of the family of God. And you've been out there doing all these things thinking you're, we could earn your way into the family of God. And he said, look, and in essence what the story is about is, Look, all you got to do is come in and join us. But the story ends with them standing outside. I think what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is, look, <clears throat> these people are part of the kingdom. Come in and celebrate with us. Don't stand outside and criticize and not be a part of this thing. You're welcome, too. But he ends the story with these guys, this older son, standing outside, basically saying to the Pharisees, look, you guys are outside, this family. Come join us. Be a part of this. And so as he he talks to this older brother, he tries to get him to come in, but the story ends with the older brother standing outside, and he leaves him outside. A couple of things. First of all, I think lessons for us is this. This story really shows us how God deals with us. God's father here. The father wants you to be a part of this family, but you need to get this. He is not going to force His way into your life. You want to go your way? He'll let you go your way. You want to stand on the outside? He'll let you stand on the outside. The invitation is open, but you're the one that has to choose what you're going to do with it. That's why I think, that's why I think it's, this story is so unique, because in this story, the focus is the father running out and going to get him. The, fo- the focus of this is the choices the sons make. That's no different with you and I. God's not going to force his way in your life. You've often heard me say in Scripture, there's like layers, 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 layers behind stories. Here's one of the lower layers, if you will, in this story. Be careful what you ask of God. Because this son came to the father and said, I want my third. And the father said, okay. Okay. You be careful what you ask God for. God wants to give you the best. So for me, I always say, God, this is what I want, but I really want your will more. God, this is what I want, but I really want your plan more. Lord, this is the way I would like for it to work out, but you know what? If that's not what you want or that's not what you desire, then you've got to give me the grace and the strength to accept this other, the, another plan. So, you know, I never started praying, God, you know, give me this. God, give me this. God, give me this. Name it, claim it kind of thing. Because if you're not careful, God might give you exactly what you asked for, just like the older son. Or the younger son. <clears throat> Here's another lesson in this story. Just, just because y- nothing has happened to you, don't assume that's God's approval. Right? Let me me flesh this out for you for a second. One of the things that, that your view of God, to a degree, is tied to your view of your your earthly father. Okay? That's why it's so important for fathers to model God. A lot of your view of God is sourced in your earthly father. So a lot of us grew up in homes in which father was the authority. And when you didn't obey the rules, what happened? You got disciplined, right? I mean, back in our day, it was a beating. Uh, You can't use that word anymore. You know, now you get a time out. We're not going there. Anyway. Uh, in that whole culture, what happened? So your idea was the role of a dad, the role of a father was a disciplinarian primarily. So when you got out of line, dad's job was to to discipline you in such a way that you got back in line right away. Agreed? Everybody know what I'm talking about? If you're not careful, then here's what happened. You start to see that, you start to see God that way. And so what happens is you make a decision that doesn't honor God, but you don't get hit. You don't get disciplined. Nothing bad, really, really bad happens. And you say, going, well, maybe it's not that big a deal. And then you go a little bit farther, and then, well, I didn't get in trouble. Maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe. And you start to assume that it's approval. And it's okay to go the path that you're going. Where God says, I speak quietly with that still small voice, poking your conscience that you can sear, poking your conscience that you can quench. But you need to understand this, God always has a line. You see this in the children of Israel. What happened? Children of Israel didn't have food, so what did they do? Gripe and complain. What did God do? He gave them food. Gave them water. Go through it ten times, every time. <clears throat> they get disgruntled, they gripe and complain, God takes care of the need. They gripe and complain, God takes care of the need. And they start to think that, you know what? The way to get something from God is just gripe and grumble. Because He's not disciplined in us, then it's approval for us. And finally, God got so tired of listening to them complain and gripe and say, You brought us out here in the wilderness to kill us. You brought us out here in the wilderness to kill us. You brought us out here in the wilderness to kill us. Finally, God said, Okay, you know what? You're going to die in a wilderness. I've drawn my line. you crossed it for the 10th time. It's over. I'm gonna pr- everything I promised to you, I'm giving to your kids. You think that I brought you out here to kill you? You don't appreciate what I've done? You, I've drawn the line. You keep crossing it. Now, here's what's going to happen. You're going to die in the wilderness, and everything that I promised to you, your kids will now get. And that's exactly what happens. For 40 years, they wonder. And, and when you do the math, it's staggering how many funerals they had every day. It's staggering how many funerals they had. And so, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, be careful here. When when, when the father lets the son go, it doesn't mean he approves of his lifestyle. It just means that he was going to let him make his choices and live with the consequences. And you'll find that's what God does. God will let you choose your path. You don't get to choose consequences, but God will let you choose your path. Um, but notice in the story, there's consequences. Because when the funeral is read, when a funeral happens for dad, and the, and the, and, and, and the will is read, the younger son gets nothing. He gets zero. Uh, We don't think about that side of it very often. But there are consequences to every choice that you make. I tell kids this. All right, where are the kids? You guys are spread out. Listen up. Kids and younger (coughs) people-ish. Which means anybody under 50. Uh, (coughs) Listen up. Here's what you learn in Scripture. And here's what you'll learn in life. You do the hard things now, it will get easier. If you do the easy things now, it will get harder. Let me say it again. You do the hard things now, it gets easier. You do the easy things now, it gets harder. Case in point, when you get into about ninth grade, they start keeping a thing called your GPA, your grade point average means you're going to take all your classes. And, 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 so at that point, A's, B's, C's have a point value to them. Let's say you're a straight A student. Let's say you work, but you get A's. You can get A's. So you decide that in ninth grade you're going to work, and you're going to get A's, and you're going to work hard at getting A's. So your buddy calls and says, hey, look, we're on Xbox Live. We need you to join the team so that we can get to the next level. And you go, you know what, I've got to test tomorrow. I can't. Oh, don't worry about the test tomorrow. You know, you, you can pass it without studying. No, 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 I really want to study hard. You know, it's only ninth grade. It doesn't count right now. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. I'm not going to, I can't play. I got to study. And then the next night they call and say, hey, look, we're going to go do this. And you go, look, I can't. I need to find, you know, I, 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 I'm not doing well in this class. I want to do better in this class. And so you all the way along high school kept saying no, and you discipline yourself, and you work hard to get those grades. Then you get ready to go college and you fill out scholarships and they start asking about GPA. And you're going to find out that financially college becomes easier because you did the hard things. There are other kids who they look at it and go, yeah, I could get A's if I really worked on it, but who wants to work on an A? I could get a B. (laughs) Okay, you raised your hand. You're going to bring it up, then I'm going to say it. Okay, I have two children on both extremes. Both were capable of A's. One's philosophy was, if I can get an A, I want an A+. plus." The other philosophy is, if I can, if I can get a B without studying, why would I study for an A? <laughs> now, you decide which child was which. <clears throat> so, I got kids on both ends of the spectrum. So, the one child decides, I'm going to do the easy thing now. If I can get a B and not study, then I'll get a B. And when they went to fill out, I filled out the college scholarship for them and helped them do the whole resume thing. It's amazing which one got offered more money and financially college became easier versus the one who's paying more college loans now because life got harder. Hard things now get easier. Easy things now get harder. Got it, kids? Now, let me transition it to mom and dad. You want one of the curses of our culture right now? There are a lot of parents and there are a lot of grandparents who are raising their kids with this philosophy. I want it to be easier for my kids than it was for me. And in your desire to make it easier, you're crippling them. Because they grow up never having to deal with hardship, never having to deal with difficulty, and they get out into a world that is cruel and hard. I get that we want our kids to have a better life than we have. I get it. But let's keep it in perspective. And let's understand that struggle and hardship are necessary in order to produce the kind of kids that can survive that kind of world. And it's really, really important. And we've had a lot of discussions with our kids about if I could have helped you, I wouldn't. Why? Because if you can get through some of the hard things now, life will get easier. If you do it all easy now, life is going to be incredibly difficult and hard down the line. And some of you parents are holding the line kudos, I'm in your corner. Keep it up. Don't get discouraged. Don't listen to the other parents. You are the one ultimately accountable for what you do with that child. No one else. So you hold to the guns that you're, you're convinced in, in, in your mind that, that God wants you to do. Kids, listen. Be careful about always trying to make it easier. Practically. Here's how I did it. When I start a week, and I have a list of ten things, you know which one I do first? The hardest and the one I don't want to do the most. You know why? Because <clears throat> at the end of the week, I'm not going to have the energy to do that. Or the drive, or the motivation. When I sat down to study, you want to know what, what I studied first? The subject I hated the most. <coughs> In my world, that was, that was like uh, English. English. I studied that first. Why? Because I was going to have no problem getting motivated to take biology. I love biology. That was awesome. But English, not so much. Typing, I was a disaster. Yes, we had typing classes. Look it up. Google it. It's called a typewriter. Yeah, the manual one. No, we had the IBM Selectric. Remember that little round ball that spun? Uh, we have one of those. Look, you got you got choices to make, and God will let you make your God will let you choose, and that still small voice will help. Will say, look, don't go that path. But if you're not listening and you don't hear it, there's consequences to it. There's consequences to every choice. Moms, dads, teacher, kids. Every choice has consequences. Good choices, bad choices, they all have a consequence tied to them. And we've got to get back to some of these kind of principles. And in this situation, guess what? There are consequences. There's a party going on, and the the older son is standing on the outside mad. Because he won't solve his pride. He's bitter, he's angry, he's frustrated, and he's like, I'm not going in there. I'm not going to give that kid the attention that, that, that he's getting. But God... Is always a God of mercy and grace, and that's what you see in this. God basically stands there looking for the young son to come home, and the second he sees him over the hill, he runs to him. And the older son, who's mad and angry, standing outside, the father comes outside and says, I want you to be a part of it too, come on in. And that, listen, God is always willing and desirable, desiring you to come back. And for some of you, it may have been, you may have been away from God. You may have made some bad choices. Life didn't go the way that you want. Look, I, it doesn't matter. God stands at the door and will run to you when you decide to come back. And for those of you who are standing outside and it's like, well, you know, no, 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 no. God says, look, I want you to come in and be a part of this. He's not going to push you in the door. He's not going to drag you in the door. He's going to invite you. But the choice is with you. You're the one who makes that choice. And that's the great thing about this story. And Jesus is telling these guys, look, you want to be a part of this? Come on in. But they didn't want anything to do with it. And ultimately, their conclusion is, we got to get rid of this guy. And that's what they do. That's what they do. My challenge is, you know, as as dads, moms, aunts, uncles, grandparents. We need to reflect the God that the Bible reflects. A God who is firm. A God who, not pushy. Not the disciplinarian with the big baseball bat ready to hit you upside the head the second you step out of line. Not the dad who's always picking and picking and picking and never encouraging you. But the dad who, when you decide to walk towards him, runs to you. The dad who, when you get so angry, you want nothing to do with this group, walks outside the door and says, come on in, be a part of it. I want you to. That's the kind of God we serve. And no matter where you are in the journey, understand that's the Heavenly Father who waits for you. And I encourage each of you to make sure you have that kind of relationship. We are in celebrating because you're a son. Not on the outside mad because you think it should be different. I end it with this. <clears throat> this week, take a serious look at the choices you make. God will allow you to choose your path. His grace and mercy is extended to all of us. Whether you're the wayward son or the self-righteous brother, he wants everyone to be a part of His family. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Guide us, direct us. Lord, for those in here that may have never put their faith and trust in You, Lord, would You bring them to Yourself? Would You help them to realize, Lord, that You desire them to be a part of the family of God more than anything else? Lord, for those <clears throat> who may be trusting on something else, thinking, Lord, that they're their works or their efforts should get them something with you. Lord, would you help them to realize that it's of your grace and not of their works. And Lord, may each of us value the relationship that we have as your children. And may we live for you this week. And may we show to those around us, Lord, that kind of grace and mercy and strength. And we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name. Um, let's stand together and let's sing the first verse.